0: Hi, everyone. This is Julie Brenninger from Gold City Ventures. This is an exciting episode because it's the first one where I'm in the driver's seat. I'm so excited to continue Crickets to Kuchings and the amazing work that Lauren has done and to continue to bring you guys lots of value. We have Lauren here today with me for a special, casual fireside chat. This is going to be her last episode. So, Lauren, welcome. Thanks. Welcome to your own podcast. Oh, I know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> You're in a different seat now, but... We have three fun topics planned for you guys today. The first is a look at trends we're seeing in our seller communities. I realize that Lauren and I are in the unique position that we've seen lots and lots of people start Etsy shops. We've seen the sellers that succeed and others that have struggled. And before Lauren departs, I really want to extract some of that information and that value from her that she's seen in her own community. Next, we're gonna talk about the timeline to success from sellers and what we've seen. Have we seen any overnight success stories? What's sort of the typical length of time it takes for people to succeed on Etsy and how do we define that? Last, we're going to talk about some Etsy trends, some current events that we have been hearing about and seeing in our communities. Things like shop suspensions, optimizing for Google, the listing image changes, the share and save program, and video. So stay tuned. Let's get into it. Lauren, so kicking it off to talk about trends... I know that you and I have seen lots and lots of sellers come through our programs. And I wanted to ask you first, are you seeing certain trends in terms of niches? Are you seeing certain trends in terms of seller qualities who are doing well on Etsy and who are not? I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on that.
1: I mean, I think that what I have found is that The things that were true like 10 years ago on Etsy in terms of what makes a product successful and who is successful with sales are true. It's just that they're like you have to dive even deeper into it. So like, for instance, when back in the day when I was doing applique burp cloths, I had like this kind of niche within a niche of doing twin sets. And I sold a whole bunch of twin sets, even though like obviously you can buy just two of the same thing and it would be a twin set. But I see that even more so now, like getting deeper into to stay with that example, like it's not just enough to say, well, I make burp claws with a name on it. So do thousands of other people. So like what makes that even more narrow into like a micro niche in that category of products i think is probably the biggest thing that i see not only with people that end up having a lot of sales but also like how quickly it becomes successful or how quickly they begin to make sales
0: i'm seeing the same thing and in the digital product space it's not enough anymore. Let's say you were creating a greeting card. Happy Father's Day is never going to sell, right? It has to be a stepfather's card or first Father's Day. It has to be really niched down. So I'm not necessarily seeing entire shops have to be niched. And most people that I see are actually selling in different categories and they just organize in sections. I'm seeing more the individual product, like you said, is just really hyper specific.
1: Yeah. And that actually may be a change. I think like, Back in the day on Etsy, it was, I mean, I agree with you. That is also what I see. I felt like back in the day, it needed to be more cohesive as a shop, like you were walking into, you know, a brick and mortar store. Now, I don't know that I really think that that's true because, you know, people just are looking more at search results of the individual products. So those products have to be so narrow.
0: And that makes sense if you think about all the advertising that Etsy has been doing with Google. And how people are just coming into that one listing and they might not even recognize your brand. They're really just thinking about that one product.
1: I mean, I think it goes back to what it always has kind of been centered around is like, how does somebody connect with your product? You know, Happy Father's Day, you're like, wow, my dad's gonna really feel like I didn't put a whole lot of thought into this one. (laughs) And as well, like I can buy, you know, a card at Publix that says Happy Father's Day on it. So like, what's gonna make it personal to me or the person that i'm giving it to or whatever
0: right and that's why you go to etsy for something handmade personal that feels special on the seller quality side and this is an interesting question when i first started the course i would notice that the people that were really successful i would know exactly who they were and i have a large facebook group there's thousands of people in there and to say that you know who everyone is is kind of an interesting comment, but. Some of the people that have really had breakout sales, like 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 sales on Etsy, I know their names. I interact with them quite often. They ask tons and tons of questions. They were always messaging me or trying to take advantage of the outside time as well. And I think that's an interesting point. Like Maybe is it the fact that they were super leaned in and motivated and that's the way that it demonstrated? Is it the fact that they got more out of the program because they were doing all the pieces of it? I'm not sure, but I was wondering if you noticed that as well.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, in my experience, and it kind of sounds like this from what you just said too, like it is the people who are open to learning and are not so married to what they're doing that they're not willing to change. And I don't mean like you have to completely, you know, scrap everything that you've done and start over again. But I mean, like, You know, we talked about it in the last episode. Like, both of us really enjoy the data side of it. And I think that even though that's not true of everybody, everybody doesn't have to enjoy looking at spreadsheets and stuff. The willingness to look at what your data is telling you about what people want from you, what's selling well, like where you're finding success or where other shops are finding success or however you're doing that research and then adapting. Either your products to what's already selling in your shop or, you know, like taking that information and using it to your advantage and then being willing to then continue to learn and to change things if they're not working and all of that. And I also think the other part of it is, which is probably going to lead into more topics that we're going to talk about, but. I also think the other part of it is the people that are there who are like learning and doing the work and engaged and asking questions and learning from various people's opinions, you know, the coaches in your group and everything. There's a lot of people that think like the moment they buy a course, that is the work that they've needed to do. (laughs) Like the purchase of the course to learn is their work. And you and I both know that's just the beginning point. That's not the end point.
0: Yeah, trust me. And I get it. I've been busy and I've been there too, where I purchased a course. I purchased a course to be a travel blogger that gets free hotel stays. And I was so excited. And then I'm like, wait, I have like little kids and I don't leave this house. Like where am I traveling to? Okay, Actually,
1: I can't do this even if I was successful. Yeah. Wow. Great.
0: I purchased the course. I felt like I transformed just from that purchase. I, I totally get exactly what you said. That's been me. But yeah, I have noticed that. And I think what you said about being willing to experiment and sort of accept the feedback that is really important and it's because if you're off track you find out sooner if you tell somebody so the other day i did do a shop audit of someone that had greeting cards and they had happy thanksgiving they had this the basic words and i could quickly say oh this needs to be niched down this probably won't sell but the design is great you're on the right track it's just we need to find a specific person that's going to be gifted this card and niche it down So if that person didn't say anything, what if they worked for four weeks on that? And then, you know, they're wasting their time. So I think that kind of segues into the next section, which is the timeline to success for sellers. And I have seen thousands of students come through the program. And a lot of people want it to be a week one thing where they're just making money right away but it really depends on what their skill set is coming into a program like this. Do they have any online business background or is this, you know, the first time they've ever done it? And there are some I've seen that have made sales literally overnight. At this point, we have seen people do that, but I think for the most part it's going to take a learning curve for everyone, but it's a skill set that you have to learn and then once you learn it, you take it with you throughout every other online business venture that you do.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a really big shift mentally, I think, between people that come in who don't necessarily have a business background, haven't ever run a business or an online business before, and then shifting into a mindset of kind of what we talked about again, like in the last episode, like I'm here to make money in the shop. Like I'm not here to just make the things that I like. I mean, I don't care what I like. I care what sells. (laughs) And so the shift between, um, you know, really looking at, even if this is not something that I would create for myself or that I would purchase because I have the skills to create it, so I would never purchase it. Who is the person that's buying this and how can I serve the things that they're looking for?
0: 100%. And I've seen in my group too, because if someone is discouraged like it's taking me forever, those people can still be the people with the highest sales after a year or two. So there's one woman, Lisa, that I can think of that for a year she was taking a while to kind of find her way and find her niche and to make early sales. But then she figured it out. And she greeting cards is actually her niche. And she now has 27,000 sales on Etsy. She bought a printer. She's not doing digital downloads necessarily anymore. She's now shipping physical greeting cards. And that's her full-time job. And I thought it was so cool and we were going to collaborate, but now she's fully booked up with her business on Etsy and she just can't take on anything else because she's swarmed with orders. (laughs) And I think that's so cool because if she had given up or if you thought oh well someone that it takes them a while to get there they're never going to get there that's not necessarily true it's just for some people you can't like shortcut that beginning time so if you're still out there and you're still paddling and you're like when is this going to break out for me i have seen people that they do it takes them a while but then they go there i'm just curious if you think of anyone from your community that kind of stands out in terms of their path to
1: success i can think of two one of them kind of got into it at a really good time like right before she'd maybe been open for like six months or so before the pandemic started and so she was kind of like chugging along doing all right and then she joined the program in like March of 2020 or February of 2020 or something like that and her sales like just exploded and she ended up like grossing over a hundred thousand dollars like her first year in business which was insane and then I had another one who it was kind of more like the story that you shared where she kind of chugged along for years and she had some places where her sales would go up she'd been featured in several things and so for like short periods of time she would have an increase in sales but she didn't really have the consistency and then once she got deeper into a more niche market, then she started to have these more consistent sales and really grew a much stronger and, you know, more dependable, I guess, income from her Etsy shop.
0: And that's amazing. I think the conclusion is there is no real timeline to success. It depends on a lot of factors, but if you put in the work and you try to learn from others around you, that's the way that you can
1: beat it up somehow. Yeah, for sure. So I started selling on Etsy in 2012, and I am kind of glad that I did it back then. I mean, for a lot of reasons, obviously. But I think it's a huge benefit to sellers now that there's so much information out there and there's so many ways to learn. And so that timeline can be shortened so much because you learn from other people's experiences and you don't have to make all of the mistakes yourselves. But at the same time, you hear so many stories of like, overnight success and blah, 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 that I feel like the ones who, you know, like it took me five years to hit six figures in my Etsy shop, five years of selling. (laughs) So I didn't have anyone to compare myself to at the time because like social media wasn't what it is now and stuff. And so like I was happy with what I was doing. I was just kind of like doing it in a little vacuum. And in some ways, I think that that was good because it can be really encouraging to hear people's success stories, but then it can be discouraging if you allow the comparison to make you feel like it's not happening for you fast enough and everything.
0: Comparison is the thief of joy, as they say. (laughs) It's It's funny that everyone's personality reacts to that differently because I have an athletic background. And for me, when I hear big numbers that someone has, it like revs me up. But I didn't quite realize how everyone reacts differently to that. And back in 2019, when I launched the course, I actually had my sister be a beta tester and we had just implemented this share a win thread where every week everyone shares a small win. And she said it was making her feel bad seeing other people with their wins. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, that someone ready, they made 20 sales or whatever makes you feel bad. That's interesting. And then I realized more and more like we all are coming to this with our unique experiences and unique personalities And it's really about finding whatever makes you personally feel motivated and then staying away from whatever demotivates you. So I know what kind of can get me down in the dumps. So it's interesting, this whole online business thing.
1: Yeah. Hearing people's success stories. For instance, when I started my shop, my sister-in-law already had a very successful Etsy shop. And so, like, I saw that and I'm like, well, that's awesome. I can do that, too. And that was motivating But then I think if you get started and then you don't see the success that you're expecting or you don't see it in the timeline that you're expecting, then I think that that's where it gets demotivating for me, at least to be like, okay, well, now I'm started and I'm a year into it and I'm not having one hundred thousand dollars in sales. So that stinks. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's where I kind of liked when I switched to digital products from selling the temporary tattoos because I could pivot faster when things weren't working yeah. because it was just my time on a computer because with the tattoos. So I mentioned that the bachelorette party was kind of what worked in my breakout, but I didn't mention the other lines that I had ordered 500 tattoos, which <laughs> I still have in a box in my closet. Yeah. So if you ever are going to a bachelorette party, I have my raunchy line, which didn't sell very well. I had like a feminist line because the women's march and all that was like hot at the time. And that while it sold, it only sold like one or two at a time. So it wasn't worth my time. And it was just frustrating to just waste that inventory. And I'm sure like if you're a handmade seller, you know, you have all your supplies, you went through the photography, the whole thing, and then now it doesn't sell. It's like harder to just back up and redo it. Whereas with a digital product, you can kind of just like, oh, that didn't work. Okay, well, I'll just get on the computer tomorrow and I'll put up a new one. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but it's a little bit easier to pivot.
1: Yeah. And cheaper.
0: (laughs) And cheaper. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Your time is valuable, but not as valuable as... You know, going somewhere and buying a bunch of stuff so the last topic i want to talk about hot topics in the etsy community right now we've all been in the facebook groups we're getting the emails from etsy about changes and some of these changes are really exciting some of them are scary to sellers we are in the unique position as i mentioned where we've seen a lot of students come through and experience these changes both for good and bad at once so i wanted to talk about a few of them let's start with the hardest one the elephant in the room the shop suspensions. Were you seeing those in the past year?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that it's been a very strange phenomenon because it seems kind of random at times. Although I will say it seems like it's tending to happen more towards new shops, not so much established shops. But I did have several students who were temporarily suspended for like basically no reason even though they had established shops. So that to me was more alarming, the established shops, because I understand why Etsy suspends new shops to verify information and stuff. Although I think that there would be a much better way of going about it. Like it doesn't make sense why they would suspend them. It would seem like if you want to verify information, then do that before you let them open versus opening and then suspending that. But, you know, whatever. But yeah, the shop suspension thing was kind of weird. And i agree
0: they should call it for the new sellers shop verification yeah and don't send them this nasty gram that says you've been suspended because it totally upsets you when you just put all this effort in to create your shop and then next thing you know you get hit with one of those when as you mentioned i understand why etsy does it i'm all for this actually because we want the customers to have trust in this platform and that's so so important i think that gets forgotten sometimes in this conversation when people are upset with etsy for this but You know, when you buy from Etsy, you're buying from an individual person. And I know when I'm shipping Christmas gifts to people or whatever, I want that gift to arrive. I want it to arrive on time. And Etsy is kind of trusting us, even though they don't really know us. We don't necessarily have a business history, many of us, when we get started. So I think this is a good thing to make sure there's not fraud on the platform and customers continue to go. I mean, what other platform has 100 million buyers looking for something unique? You can get started so easy. I think we're offered a lot of value. So, shop verification, I'm down. But maybe just call it something else. What I was seeing too with some of the, I tried to sort patterns, like maybe do they have international bank accounts? Did their name not match between the different items that they were registering? That could contribute to it. We don't really know what algorithm sets off the shop suspensions, but in like 99% of the cases, everyone's shop was reinstated. So they just spent like the three weeks doing something else, creating products, keyword research. I mean, there's more than enough things to do. And then they got back to it.
1: Yeah. And I would say the 1% that their shop was not reinstated. It's usually for pretty valid reasons.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like there's a, hey, I don't know why. It's like, okay, there's um, a Mickey
1: Mouse item in here and Harry Potter something. (laughs) You've already had multiple shops that were shut down because of like fraud and stuff. So like they're tracking it to your IP that tracks, that's why they suspend people and that's why they should suspend people. Yeah,
0: but if it did happen to you, we're still sympathetic, I know. And you know, when you first start, you might not quite understand that piece of it as well. Yeah. The next thing I want to talk about that's been exciting, optimizing for Google and offsite ads. So for those of you that have noticed, you'll notice you have an offsite ads source of traffic potentially coming into your shop. I'm all about this because Etsy is bringing new customers to the platform from Google, but you don't have to pay for it. And as someone that has online businesses in multiple spaces, that's a little rare. Like every time I want to acquire a customer, I have to either put in my effort or I have to go out and put money behind advertising. Whereas here, we only have to pay if it works and it results in a sale. I mean, I think that's incredible. That being said, though, now that Etsy is advertising our stuff through Google we need to make sure our listings are a little bit different so that it can actually result in something. I don't know if you've seen the negative talk around this in your community, Lauren, but a lot of people were not a fan of these offsite ads and the Google stuff.
1: I mean, I understand why people are not a fan of it because of the fees. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. They don't like fees. I agree with you as somebody who has done A lot of stuff off of Etsy and the coaching and podcasting and all of that kind of stuff that there is a cost to doing business and marketing and advertising is one of those costs. So the fees don't really bother me in that way because I understand that it's not realistic to expect to not have any ad fees or marketing fees. That's like just business in general. But I do think that it's a different consideration with physical products versus digital products. Like in my digital shop, I'm all about offsite ads. That's great. In my physical shop, I'm a little bit more like, oh, dang it, that's a high fee. (laughs) So it's kind of a different conversation for me in those two different arenas because of the material costs and the time investment and everything.
0: That's such a good point where you need to really price yeah. That in to the margins. You don't know necessarily what would be an offsite ad, what sales gonna result in that. And then you have the pressure from the other sellers who are competitive with you. You're all trying to, I'm sure, not have the super high prices comparatively. So it is tough. In the digital product space, it's kind of only a benefit. I do hear some a little bit of negative chatter, but to your point, I mean, every business needs a marketing and advertising cost. I mean, it's just how businesses operate. So, I think it's a great deal from a seller perspective and especially in the digital space.
1: Interestingly enough, I barely ever make any offsite ads from my physical product store and almost like I just did the calculation, <laughs> like 13% of my sales in my digital store are from offsite ads. So, I find that to be kind of interesting too.
0: That is interesting. And I, and I stopped selling the tattoos. So I only am looking from the perspective of the digital. We do have coaches in our staff that sell physical. So I'll have to follow up with them and see if they're yeah. seeing something similar. But what I like about all of this stuff is that it's not that hard to optimize your listings for Google. So in the digital product space, a couple of things I'm noticing maybe not putting text on your main listing thumbnail that might not look good when it gets transferred over to Google. Etsy has a couple webinars that they've released where they've walked you through what they are suggesting we do to optimize for Google. And they mentioned the first couple sentences of your listing description is really important. There's a discussion about putting alt text in your listing images. And for anyone that doesn't know, alt text is a type of data that's attached to each listing image that you can enter in or it will just default to what the main title is. And it helps somebody that, uses a screen reader or has some sort of disability with reading or visual disability, understand what actually the image is. That's the original purpose of it. But it also can help with SEO as well. Now, it's probably not appropriate to keyword stuff that because someone is using it to understand what your product is. But that is an opportunity to have extra keywords. And I, from my understanding, that also helps in terms of Google ads because it helps them understand what the product is about and where to surface it. That webinar is really interesting for anyone that's looking for extra help on this. It's on the Etsy website in the seller section. So in terms of listing image changes, this is another big elephant in the room. A lot of people are really confused. Etsy, maybe sometime this summer, decided to show more square listing images. And it's making those of us that designed our main thumbnail a certain way have really strange thumbnails. (laughs) And it looks weird in search sometimes. But I understand why they did it because I'm sure most of the customers are shopping on mobile. I know I shop Etsy on mobile at night after I put the kids to bed, and it just makes sense. What are you hearing in your spaces regarding this?
1: It seems to be really varied how it's showing up for people. I would assume at some point they will like standardize how it looks. But I know that for me, it looked different on my phone browser versus my phone app. Like the Etsy app versus the desktop. Like they looked different. It seems to me like they haven't really hit a place where they, I don't know, made a decision or something that they're still kind of like changing things up or playing around with it. I tend to shop on the computer, so I'm the minority there. I already know that. <laughs> That's kind of an annoying one to me because it is a big change. It's a lot of work to do all those images again. And from my experience, in my shop at least, it's not always showing up right, even if your images are right. So there's still like this disconnect between what they're telling you, you know, 2000 by 2000 or whatever sizing. But then like when you do it, it still gets all wonky when you upload the image. So I I don't know. I'm, I'm a little baffled by that one.
0: I know I did some detective work last night on the Etsy seller handbook. So they still say a four by three aspect ratio. So that's still rectangle. And they do recommend that the smallest size is over 2000 pixels. So that's been kind of the way it is. But then you look like you said, and when I'm testing on my phone on mobile, I'm seeing a lot of square images. So that's why things are getting kind of cut off. But then to your point, there's still rectangles. And then this morning, I actually used a tool where you can upload I like screenshot from my phone and then I uploaded it to a tool that told me the aspect ratio and it said it was five by four for this particular section. So I think they are still experimenting. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's good. They're trying to get us the highest conversion because when we make sales, that's how they're making money from those fees. Right? So I I think that's a good thing. But in the meantime, we're all just kind of in for the ride. What I would do and recommend and and have done, if you're going to spend a lot of time, spend it on the thumbnail. Don't worry as much about the rest of the listing images right now. Focus on the thumbnail and make sure if it at least is cropped to a square, that it looks good as a square. I would leave it rectangle, but I would make sure that all the stuff is in the center so that when it's cropped to a square, it doesn't look really bad. Yeah. But also I would say with some of these changes, you can look at them as a pain or you can say most sellers are going to not do this. So if I'm part of that percentage of seller that actually gets on this, I'm going to do better than other people. It's like an advantage, right? Because most people are not going to take action. I haven't gone through all my listings and updated them. So I can see this as a huge opportunity. If you can get that energy and the motivation to be like, I'm going to go and just knock out 10 thumbnails today and give it a try.
1: I also think like long-term having square thumbnails is way better. It makes it easier to have social media posts it makes it easier if you sell across platforms so like shopify needs square thumbnail pictures if you have it linked to an instagram or facebook shop they need square listing images so like square is better it's just the changing part is annoying it's
0: frustrating yeah i would be afraid to touch a bestseller i haven't touched my bestsellers too because i would mention that like sometimes i see when people learn they have to change something they start messing with it and. I always feel like doing that slowly is a good idea.
1: I'll say from the other side, in my digital shop, I have changed my best seller thumbnails to be updated because there is text on those mm-hmm. images and I want the text to fit in the box. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I have not seen a decline. Actually, my sales are way up this month. So
0: Okay. So hey, here's the proof right now. You can <laughs> well, you can fiddle. One person's proof. <laughs> one person's proof. But I still believe Let's say you have like three bestsellers. Maybe not do them all in the same day. Like just do one at a time and just test and see. But the text thing is big. And that's also big for Google too, to start removing that text. It's tough because in the digital product space, a lot of us use text. Like if we sell planners and things, but I'm noticing more and more that not putting the text might be the way to go. So... Stay tuned on that. And by the way, we're gonna have deep dives in the future episodes of all of these individual topics. Right now we're just kind of doing a casual state of the Etsy union here, but we'll we'll deep dive into them and give you guys specifics in the future. The share and save program, which I'm so excited about. So Etsy sent out an email, I think it was this week, where if you send your own direct traffic to your shop through social media or another way, you need to use a special link, you can save four percent on the overall. Like it's like a fee credit a four percent fee credit and i get that because maybe they're not having to pay the google ad fee and they're trying to incentivize you to bring more customers to etsy they're trying to grow their base every time i'm on the, the tv which isn't very often anymore i'm seeing like an etsy ad they're really trying to push new customer growth and i think this is one of their ways to try to do that and to encourage you to post more on social now i'm not a social media person i'll be honest with you so I'm not sure how much posting I'll do on social, but I'm like a big blog traffic driver. So I'm excited to take advantage of it in that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it has a lot of cool potential for, you know, referrals, like you said, with blogging traffic, or if somebody were like putting together a gift guide or something and they linked their own products, but, you know, you can link other people's products too. And I think the more that they lean into, affiliate stuff which they have both from like the sellers as affiliates but then also like outside affiliates bloggers and influencers and stuff like that the better that is for everybody I mean it benefits all of us if they grow their buyer base
0: yeah and for those of you that don't know an affiliate would be someone that is a third party that they recommend your product and they get a small commission and what's cool is that Etsy recently changed the rules where you could recommend your own product I'm shocked they did that but that is helpful you can use your own link So I'm really excited. Etsy's affiliate program is through AWIN, A-W-I-N, if anyone is a blogger and wants to get into that.
1: Are you on that affiliate program? I am. Okay. They've made a big push for it lately. And I think that that's a good thing because I know when, you know, in the past, like as Like to Know It grew and stuff for influencers, people didn't really want to recommend Etsy because the affiliate commissions were so low and they just didn't have a very good program. So if you're a blogger or an influencer and you're putting together a gift guide, why are you going to recommend everything from Amazon? Because they have a good affiliate program. So like Etsy needs to get with that, too, you know.
0: Yeah, I actually have a small niche bachelorette party blog. And similar to what I was telling you with the temporary tattoos, how people buy 15 at once. When I recommend bachelorette stuff, they buy like 15 T-shirts at once. So that's a good niche to be in the affiliate game as well. Now, this stuff is kind of advanced. I will mention if you're a new seller, you don't need to be creating (laughs) websites and affiliate marketing and things We're we're just talking about the different things that we've tried and we'll get into deep dives in later episodes for specific topics if you want to add them. But this is an interesting program for the most part, share and save. I think people are going to use it on social media. I will mention as someone that's a reluctant TikToker, I do have a TikTok of my bachelorette party scavenger hunt product that has 27,000 views. Wow. And most of my TikToks get like 200 views. And this one to have so many, I think, is showing me, <laughs> like, okay, I got to do this. So maybe we'll run some sort of challenge for the rest of us that are reluctant to get in these spaces of like, all right, maybe we'll just like post for seven days, like our product every day or something and see yeah. what happens. But this would be a good place where I could use this link and say, like, oh, check out the link in my bio to buy this product. So similarly to the TikTok thing, I know that Etsy has been pushing video a lot. They launched Explore, which was almost like, it kind of looked like a TikTok competitor within the actual Etsy app. And they wanted sellers to create these like vertical videos as if you were in one of those platforms, Reels or TikTok, and post it to Etsy. So shoppers could have a video buying experience. I was just looking at the Explore stuff, like the videos on the Etsy app last night. And I don't want to say I wasn't impressed, but like it didn't look... Like they had figured it out that much. Like, for example, I buy a lot of stuff for like kids and things on there. And they said, oh, these are the ones that we think are for you. And all the stuff looked totally random. I'm like, why did? Why would you think I would buy this? This is completely <laughs> random. Or like, it, and it didn't have very much engagement. Like it, it, there were no comments or likes on it or whatever. So I feel like it, maybe it didn't quite get the traction that they wanted yet, or they're not showing it to that many customers yet. I feel like it's not super important for the Etsy app. But like I mentioned with the TikTok and how I did see some success with that, it's, Probably the way it's going is like videoing yourself with the products is probably how we're going to have some breakout sales in the future. It's not necessary. Most of the people I see are doing just basic SEO, and that is enough. and the customers on Etsy, that's enough to drive a successful shop. But I am hearing some breakout stories of social media usage really turning the tables for somebody. I'm curious what you think about the video changes.
1: Yeah. I think videos within the listing are very important. And I think that platforms that have all of the social media platforms have been moving towards videos, whether it's stories or reels or TikTok as a whole platform or whatever. I have heard a lot of stories of people having like viral, viral videos on TikTok. I am not on TikTok because I'm, I don't know, too old for that, (laughs) but I have heard a lot of stories. I would say if they're going to do one social media at this point, that would probably be the one that I would say to go to, because that's where I hear the most like of these runaway viral stories. But I think that like a lot of things, social media is kind of a long game. And so you have to be willing to stick with it and chug along with it to see the success that's more than just like a flash viral thing. But I think video overall, like it or hate it, it's the way that everything has moved. So I think it's important to acknowledge that and do with it what you will.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you're reminding me, we're talking about data. I'm a data person. So if I wanted to really double down on this, like I should be looking at my analytics and saying how much traffic is coming from TikTok. I should be finding a way to track and say, am I noticing that the bachelorette party scavenger hunt that that's because of the TikTok video taking off. And then I would choose to allocate my time differently based on that. But right Right. now I just am like, oh, look, there's 27,000 views. I haven't done that connection. So I'd recommend if someone does want to explore this, like challenge yourselves to try to investigate whether it's actually moving the needle or not because social media is so much work. So it could just be that it's getting a lot of views and maybe someone's going to Etsy and typing it in, but you want them to buy your product. So- That's something I'd recommend doing. And, you know, there's trainings and we have trainings on on how to specifically do that. It sounds a little overwhelming, but it's probably the right way to go about some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that it's always important to look at what is the end goal here? Is the end goal just to build a following? Is the end goal just to get video views? Like different people are doing different things with what their end goal is. But for most of us and for most of the people listening, the end goal is to get Etsy sales. So if you have a video that goes viral and has you know, 27,000 views, but it doesn't convert into sales. I mean, I think you'd have to probably look at it at, on a longer term, like not just, you know, a week or whatever when it had a bunch of views, like if there's a lag in sales, but if it ultimately doesn't convert, then it doesn't really matter how many views you get unless they're converting into something.
0: <laughs> exactly. And now this is a random idea, but I do use TikTok. I'm going to admit I do. And Sounds I get the dancing videos. I had a baby in March, so I get tons of baby stuff. Yeah. I get things to help my toddler with like managing emotions and feelings. So I'm I'm deep in it right now. I reluctantly deep in it. But what I did use it for last year was gift guides for the holidays. And a lot of influencers will put together these like 10 gift guides to give at your Christmas swap or your office holiday party. And if I did have a TikTok, I would make one and maybe include my own product. Because what I notice is that all the influencers just copy each other. They do the same exact gifts. So maybe your gift would like go right viral. I have not tested this. I usually don't like to share things. I haven't tested myself, but I did notice that last year. I'm like, how many more times can I see this burrito blanket? There was a blanket yes. that like was a Chipotle looking burrito and you wrap it with tinfoil and you give it in like a funny Yankee swap, which I, I did give. Actually, I gave the burrito it did not go over well. My uncle was like, what is this? I don't understand this. I'm like, oh, TikTok failed me.
1: (laughs) You're clearly not on TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Like, uncle, you need to get with the picture. He pulls out like a flip phone. I'm like, okay, it's never going to happen. But anyways, that could be an idea for someone. And like, you probably don't have to, you know, arrange with an influencer to include it. You could just, you can just be a random person and have like one TikTok video. What I understand about TikTok is you can have just like one video take off. You don't have to have like a huge following or anything. Yeah. So ideas, if anyone enjoys this type of work, if you don't enjoy it, there's plenty other ways to succeed on Etsy. Lauren, thank you for this fun little fireside chat with all these different ideas. Hopefully everyone enjoyed hearing our different perspectives on what we've seen. Lauren, because this is the last episode, I'm going to thank you for all of the incredible work and value that you've provided to this community over the years. And it's been so fun collaborating with you. And just know that the door is always open. If you ever want to come back in any way to come and hang out with us here on Crickets to Cha-Chings, we would love to have you.
1: Yes, thank you, Julie. It has been fun getting to know y'all as we've kind of done this handoff. And I'm sure that I will pop back in from time to time. I'm really excited to see where you guys take things and be a listener of the podcast.
0: Well, great. And to all of you listeners, thank you. Please stick around. We have some fun things planned upcoming for you. The podcast is going to keep the same type of vibe, but we're also going to add some deep dives into different topics. We're going to add a little bit of a produced kind of NPR vibe to pieces as well, which I think will be really fun. And I think you're going to enjoy it. So give us a chance, stick around, and we would love to host you here at Crickets to chings Thanks, everyone.